Amen. Wonderful. Well, does anybody notice anything different about me this morning? That's right, I cleaned my glasses yesterday, which is a rare event. Now, I've got a t-shirt on, which is something I usually don't do. Um, unwritten rule. You gotta, pastors got to look like they're almost okay to go to a golf club restaurant, but not like they're trying to look like they've got it together. You know, you've got to be everything to everybody. But I got a t-shirt this morning, and part of that is because um, within the last month, I think it so, I discovered that there's all this, like, leadership material online from Navy SEALs people. And so I've been verbally processing what I've been learning on so many people that my family decided for my birthday, which was yesterday, that they should get me a Navy Teal shirt, Navy SEALs shirt. And so the shirt says, the only easy day was yesterday. Navy SEALs, special warfare operations. So that's why I got this shirt. So I'm wearing it in honor of them. And you may hear one or two examples of what we're talking about today from my Navy SEALs study. But I just want to share everybody, I am not a Navy SEAL. And I never was a Navy SEAL. And I don't think I could get through the first day of being a Navy SEAL. So this is not like a stolen valor moment where I'm trying to pass myself off as anything. This is just what happens when you talk too much in the Belfort household. All right, the scripture for this morning, we're going to be talking about unity today. And the scripture for this morning is this. I'll read it out loud for us. This is Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. From the, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And if there's an emphasis in this psalm, it would be this first verse, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then the last line as well. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. And you have two pictures in the middle. Just to explain how this psalm works. Two pictures of the blessing of unity. The first one's kind of interesting. Um, when you, If I asked you, okay, give, give me a picture of unity. People being united. People te- being together on mission. People being together in relationship. You probably wouldn't think about some, something dripping oil right? That's a little bit bizarre. So we're having a bit of a culture shock here from the Middle East. Now, Aaron was the high priest, the first high priest over Israel. He's the brother of Moses. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he was established them as a nation. So in a short period of time, they went from a slave people in the nation of Egypt to a nation on the move. And part of what God did was he established a priesthood for Israel, and the high priest was Aaron. So Aaron stood as the pinnacle of man standing before God and God pouring out blessing on a man that he would in turn pour out on the people proper. So Aaron was an especially holy individual in Israel to present Israel to God and to offer sacrifices and to ask for forgiveness and to pray. And in return, God would then give a special anointing and blessing for Aaron that he would in turn give to the people. So he was like um, an intermediary of blessing. And this picture, when he was anointed, they they poured anointing oil on him. And it wasn't just a little bit. It wasn't just like some 
dandruff shampoo on the top. It was enough oil that would just be glugging onto his head and then running down onto his thick, manly beard, jealous, and then off of his beard onto his collar of his robes, which would be his high priestly robes. And you could read about that in the Old Testament. But this is a picture of the blessing of God pouring down on the high priest as he stands symbolically for the entire people of God in God's presence. And, in a way we maybe don't initially connect, do from Hermon. And as I understand this, Mount Hermon would be a one of the taller mountains in Israel, and so it would provide shade and adjust the climate so that in the morning there would be dew on the ground around this mountain. And when you live in a, the kind of climate that Israel is, you depend on morning dew. It's more arid than here, but the grass and the crops would actually get fed, or sorry, watered by just dew on the ground in the morning. So this, this pinnacle um, represented, you know, something coming down which watered everything around it. And so if you take these things together, what this contributes to this blessing, these two pictures, is of someone or something that brings down blessing from the Lord. See, that always happens when I've said something important. Either the lights go on because the sun comes out or a fire truck goes by. That's my theology of interruptions. And so as you read this psalm, what's this psalm saying to you? What is something that stands and brings down God's blessing over his people? In this case, it is brothers dwelling in unity. Brothers dwelling in unity calls down the blessing of God over a people, like a mountain that brings dew to water the grass, or a high priest who stands in God's presence, begging for God's blessing over the people and receiving an anointing to respond to God's people with. We are in a season of major unity challenges for all of us, I think. In unity for the people of God, there's many different ways unity is really important. Unity in a marriage, unity in a family, unity in ministry, unity in a church. Unity is when, for Christians at least, when people are gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ and are in fellowship and working together and, and being church family, being church on the move, working together around the Lord. And we are in a time of major unity challenges. And here's some, a few that are particular to Calvary Chapel as well as some that are things that everyone's experiencing. So I think we have a, a move unity challenge. So if you were, we're coming to the end of the year. If you remember 18 years ago, it feels like, when we moved into this building, that was a unity challenge. Leaving a building that our church had been in, in for for like over 30 years. Jake, do you remember how long Calvary's been there in the old building? It was 30 years-ish, okay? So just the fact that you're not meeting at the same building that you've been meeting at for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, that puts pressure on unity. Any kind of change does often. We're in a new building, and so everything feels a little different, and that can contribute to unity challenges. Um, Singing in this room just sounds different. Amen? Even when the sound is... It sounds different. Because we were used to the old building. You guys remember the old building? If you didn't, that's fine. You can still be here. But the old building was this acoustic, living nightmare. 
you could sit in one chair and the sound would be great. And then you would move over two chairs and it would be a completely different experience. And we had this one speaker hanging down. And if you sat underneath it, your ears would be like dribbling white fluid before the service was over because it was so loud. But then there was this other area like under the bulkhead where it was just so quiet. You could not turn up the volume loud enough to understand what people were saying from the front. And then on the right hand side, if you were at the back, it felt like you were in a different church. It is so weird because that's only like far enough away to you guys from the old stage but you felt you feel more in the room over there with Enoch in the back row of this building than you did at the old building and so it was just so weird but it was our weird right it was our old worn out jeans and so here we are now we're like in this three-piece suit tuxedo building and it just feels different And we're all feeling it differently. And some people love it and some people love it different. We have shut down change. Calvary Chapel experienced an unintentional relaunch. Where we went from 250 to 300 people meeting to seven people meeting on a Sunday morning. Because of COVID... And it's like it's been rebuilding or kind of gathering back together since then. That is a huge unity challenge for everybody to go and figure out how to do church when you can't come to church and then figuring out if you're going to do this together with some people or you're going to be all alone or figuring out if you're going to shop around and and do different things that way and then trying to come back together or not coming back together. This is a huge unity challenge for all of us. And then to add on top of that that we moved two weeks before we closed everything down. And then it's just, it's so predictable that there would be unity challenges running out of this thing. This challenge to the feeling like we're in this together. Challenging, challenges to the feeling like we know what to expect and um, understand why there are changes and all this stuff. There, it's just unity challenges. On top of all of this, there's COVID stress. For one reason and another, there's this feeling like everyone's out to kill you. Right? If you're not going out into the world in the clothing equivalent of a prophylactic, you know, you've got rubber covering every single part of your body, somebody thinks you're trying to kill them. And so there's just this sense of the like everywhere. And Steinbeck is great. Steinbeck's one of the best places to be. I have this pet theory I'm going to share it. Dick, here I'll get, this is what I'll get all the emails about. Sorry, teammates. Um, that because the Mennonites who are here are here because they were persecuted by governments in other countries, there is this kind of like not necessarily taking seriously what governments say. Because we all go to the Mennonite Museum and we're like, the reason there is a Steinbeck is because governments <laughs> persecuted us. So we all take everything they say with a grain of salt around here, for better or for worse. Because that wasn't that long ago. And so there there is a little bit of like taking everything with a grain of salt around here. But if you go to Winnipeg, God bless you, Winnipeg, it is another planet. You might as well have gone to Mars, just with the feel. But there's just this stress. Like, if I go out, I might die. And if you don't have your mask on right, I might die. And there's just this unity pressure because of 
the news and events and sicknesses. And who here has lived through a time before where every single day your Facebook feed lets you know how many people died near you? It's this weird social experiment. How are my friends doing? Oh, grandkids, you know, somebody's gone out to here. Seven people died, you know. <laughs> like, this is our life. You're just hearing about death. That might happen to you all the time. And you just think, well, what would happen if we did that with driving? What, ha- what happened if we did that with abortion every single day? They said, this many abortions happened in your province because of these reasons. Would culture change? I, ho- I think it would. I think that's why we don't do it. But there's just this like pressure to be afraid and to be afraid of each other. And on top of that, there's political stress. I, I've said this before and I'll say this again. Every four years, things are going to get weird because we, we are like the wart on the butt of the biggest superpower that has ever existed in human history. And they understand, the whole world understands that every four years, you're voting for someone to be in charge of the most powerful force in the universe that has ever seen the president of the United States. It it is the reality. Historically, there has never been a country that has more power over the entire world. And people are fighting over who's going to be in charge of that. And that impacts impacts all of us. The Canadian news industry just takes a break from Canadian news and just reports American politics for six months, which is weird, taxpayer dollars. Um, Forget I said that. I just got us all in trouble again. But everything, every, all the issues, whether real or fake, in the states become our issues just because we're nearby. And there's conflict and there's disunity and there's are you pro-Trump or anti-Trump? Like, it's another country, but we will fight about that stuff. It's another country. It's not even our country, but we'll fight about that stuff. We'll have unity challenges over that. And finally, just uh, people. We all know that we, we want to be in unity. And we do stuff that challenges that unity. We do that stuff that breaks down that unity. Wherever you have people, you have people who kind of want to work together and know that we need each other, know we don't do well without each other, and at the same time do stuff that isolates or abandons or rejects and all that stuff. Where there are people, there are problems. That's a saying I've heard from many, many pastors. I don't know who made it up. Amen. Have you felt any unity challenges in your home, in your extended family, in your workplace, at church? Have you experienced any of that? Feeling like you're not connected, you don't know what's going on, like school? Any, any students here? You go to school and you can't see anybody's face for like six hours. Are they smiling or frowning or sticking their tongue out at me? And you only go every other day if you're in high school? That's crazy. Okay. Let's talk about the Navy SEALs. Not that I'm an expert, but... I kind of stumbled. You know, every once in a while, you'll fall down the black hole of YouTube. Anybody? I don't recommend it. But one time, something good came out of it for me. And I ran into this this video that was a just an explanation of BUDS, which is their like basic underwater demolitions training or something like this. So the Navy SEALs were, are supposed to be like the elite soldiers of the U.S. Navy. And I think that they have been, maybe they aren't, but they have been the most 
highly painfully trained soldiers in of all time. This was kind of their thing. And BUDS is this six-month training thing. So you already have to be a soldier. You already have to be serving in the military. And you, and you have to want to go through the most difficult, intended to make people want to quit training in the world to become a Navy SEAL. And they have this thing during BUDS, which is called Heck Week, except with the hockey sticks. But I'm not going to say it because your moms are in the room, guys. And I don't want you to enjoy me saying that because you'll get trouble later from your moms, okay? So I'm on your side. You're on Team Rob. I'm on Team you guys. This is free. So we'll call it Heck Week, even though we all know it's not Heck Week. And Heck Week is a week that is intended to make everybody quit. They have a 70% dropout rate of their training, okay? So hear that right. 70% of everybody who tries to become a Navy SEAL doesn't make it intentionally because it's designed to push people to their absolute limits of what they can endure and to root out people who are going to quit during hard circumstances because you don't want to send people into the most difficult military situations and have them quit halfway through it's just intended to be hard it's intended to make people want to quit anybody wanted to quit anything recently in the last six months Okay, we've been going through mini, mini heck week. It's just been almost all year. But the thing is, I watch this. So they do things where they'll like wake them up in the morning and yell at them to go places and, and shout at them. And then they need to run down to the Pacific Ocean. And it's like in Northern California. So don't be fooled to think the water's warm. It's freezing cold. I went to Northern California for my, my brother's wedding. And I put my feet in the water. And they were aching within seconds, the water's so cold. And they'll make these guys at sunrise go and sit in the water until they have near hypothermia. They make them roll around in the sand until they have sand in every single nook and cranny of their bodies. And and make them run for five miles with a time limit you, that they have to hit or else they have to do it again so that they that the intention is to make it feel like they have sandpaper all over their skin and have to run for five miles with sandpaper rubbing off their skin so that they're just incredibly uncomfortable and then they'll make them do stuff like as a team they have to like lift a log over their head over and over again like this and I was thinking I should do this. I, I, I have all these logs at home, and I was going to make people like Kevin do this, and so he's grateful right now that he can relax. But just over and over, just lifting a log as a team, and if your whole team isn't lifting at the same time, you can't do it. It falls on the ground. And if you drop the log, then they make you go and pick up a bigger log that's like 100 or 200 pounds more than the little log to punish you for your failure and make you do your log works with that. And you're getting any ideas? There, yeah, there we go. Wednesday nights, you can, I see, it came from me. Jackie can be mad at me. Oh, they'll do it with a boat. It's just, and so, okay, so that's the idea. It's just meant to make you hurt. And everywhere they go and everything they do, they put a bell in the middle of the exercises. And if you want to quit, you just have to go out there and ring the bell and they'll send you home. So it's as difficult as possible with as much mental strain as possible with the ability to quit right there in front of you all day long and people shouting at you about it. But it was the shouting thing that really attracted me to what they were doing because I, I noticed what they were shouting at these guys. So one of the things I noticed about what they were shouting at these guys is this. They would say, if somebody like tripped while they were running... They would say, you fell down on the ground. You could have just got your brother killed. 
Or they'll say things like this. You know what your problem is? You're trying to be an individual. You're going to get your brother killed. Because they're training people to go into dangerous situations. They're training people to go into situations where they're going to get shot at. They're going to have grenades shot at them. They're going to be in helicopters and have a rocket launcher shot at them. They are being sent into literal life and death situations. And so they're trying to train them for this. And the thing that I just stood out to me so much about this is that there was no appeal for them to try to become their best self. There was no appeal to like... You become great. You become the best. You become your strongest self. You become your wisest self. You achieve more and stand out from the crowd. They actually attacked them every time they thought they were acting like that because they were saying, you're here to be part of a brotherhood. You're here to be a brother on your team and your whole job is to keep your brother alive by doing your best. So if you drop the log, you could have got your brother killed, and that's not acceptable. And if you drop the boat, you could have got your brother killed, and that's not acceptable. And if you can't run the race, you can get your brother killed, and that's not acceptable. You're here to save your brother's life. And it's all about team. And they're trying to produce not the best soldiers ever, but the best teams ever. And the whole thing is is designed so that you cannot survive buds unless you become a team. Individuals do not survive buds or heck week. Just like the Christian life. There is nothing about being a Christian that is designed to have individuals survive it. You either become a brother or you'll fall apart. You'll get taken out. You'll get tempted out. You'll get stressed out. You'll get wounded out. You'll either become part of a Christian team of brothers fighting to save each other's lives or you probably won't make it. And so I was like, I like this. I think it's actually very biblical. This mindset of, I'm here for my brother. I'm here for my brother. So I was just sharing with you how they went through, they go through this heck week, and the main thing they're trying to drive out of them is being solo, being independent, being more concerned about yourself than your brothers. And so the whole idea is that they're training for the sake of their brothers surviving their missions. And that sounds a lot like this to me. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church that is having major unity challenges. They're having adultery unity challenges. They're having celebrity pastor disunity challenges. They're having um, spiritual gift disunity challenges. They're having can we go worship at other temples disunity challenges. They're having preaching false gospels disunity challenges. It's a disunified church. And he's trying to give them an apostolic attitude of not putting yourself first. And so he writes this. This is 1 Corinthians 9, starting verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all, talking about gospel freedom, talking about his freedom as an apostle to just be under grace and to uh, not be under the law and not, and not 
be under people's expectations. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. And to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. And I am so thrilled, Paul's my apostle, that my apostle sets this example where he's like, apart from Jesus Christ, I will change in any way necessary in order to win my brothers to Christ and see my brothers blessed by Christ. This is his attitude that he's giving to this disunified church. I'm a Jew, but I will stop being a Jew to win people to Christ. And when I go amongst the Greek, they can hardly tell I'm not a Greek when I'm amongst the weak. In, or the, yeah, which they kind of are the weaks, or maybe it's the Jews that are weak. Which one, whichever ones are weak. I, he's like, I will change in any ways. When I go to the Jews, they can't tell that I spend time with the Greeks. And when I go to the Greeks, they can't tell I'm a Jew. Because I will change everything but my obedience to the law of Christ in order to make brothers and keep brothers in the blessings of Christ. And this is his Navy SEALs unity attitude. I will die in any way except to my faith in Jesus in order to win people and keep people. That's crazy. For anybody who cares about this thing, it's arms time. That's crazy. I will change in any way I can and still be obeying Christ in order to win people to Christ and keep people in Christ. What? Don't you think that led to him feeling incredibly uncomfortable sometimes? Don't you think he suffered terrible loss in doing it? This is amazing. Another story of the just kind of Navy SEALs brotherhood attitude that that I've that stood out to me. Again, I'm not a Navy SEAL, and you all know it. Um, there was this book that was written that became a movie called Lone Survivor. Did anybody ever read that one? See that one? So they were interviewing the actual guy who was the survivor of it, and he they were just talking to him about like, were you worried? Were you afraid? The, the story behind it was that these four guys were kind of dropped near enemy lines or behind enemy lines. And through one event and another, they were surrounded by like hundreds of enemy soldiers. And only one guy made it back. And he had to like crawl for a couple days, wounded, and was found by a, a villager who decided to have mercy on him and nurse him back to health. And he's telling his story. And they were asking him, like, were you afraid? And he was just saying, no, I'm not afraid because I, I wasn't out there fighting for myself. When there were hundreds of people shooting at us and bombs were going off and grenades were exploding, I was never there fighting for myself. I was only ever shooting to save my brother's life. And they were shooting to save my life. And that's how I made it. But I was just so impacted. He's like, I never, I, he says, I never, I wasn't, the whole point is to not think about myself. I'm there to save my brother's. 
And that reminds me of this scripture that Paul says again. This is at the end of his life. He's in prison again, but for the last time he's expecting to be beheaded. And he's thinking, this is his letter to Timothy. He's writing it from jail, expecting to die. And he's sharing his theology of dying well. Because he's probably thinking to himself, like, look, there's going to be so much pressure to save my life. There's going to be pressure to deny Christ. The emperor is probably going to say, if you don't deny Christ, um, you're going to die. But if you will deny him, we'll let you live. That's probably going to happen. And so he writes this. This is Second Timothy 2, starting in verse... Um, we'll start in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. And this is the important verse. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I'll read that one more time. He says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so he's looking at his imprisonment, which there weren't any human rights in those prisons. There, I don't even think they, they were promised any food. If you were going to get fed, somebody had to bring you some food. Um, there was no heating or cooling in these imprisonments. He was probably chained to somebody who had orders to kill him if he tried to get away. And he's just thinking about this pressure to deny Christ and the discomfort he's in. And he, he's determined to endure it, not so that he can feel good about himself, but so that no other Christian's faith would be shaken because of his behavior. So that no one would have a, a, a reason to say, well, Paul broke at the end, so maybe Christ isn't real. So I, I'm willing to endure anything for the sake of God's people so that they will finish their race. And I just seen that this, this willingness to like, again, to go through anything, to be fighting for your brother and forget about yourself. Crazy. Another thing the Navy SEALs do, which is maybe a little bit more light, is uh, these things called pack checks. There was this old movie from the 80s, early 90s. So anybody not alive during that time? Yeah, good. Okay, don't go watch this show. It's terrible. It's called Navy SEALs. But they were doing these things. Every once in a while, they'll get a professional to like review a movie and say, yeah, this is real, and that's not real. And they were doing it for this one scene where all these Navy SEALs were about to jump out of the back of an airplane on mission. And the guy who was reviewing it, who was a real Navy SEAL, saying, yeah, that's really common to do pack checks. If you're all going to jump out of an airplane, we're all checking each other's parachutes and their backpacks to make sure you've got your equipment, make sure you've got your gun, that your pack, backpack is, or your parachute is packed right, because if you jump out of the airplane and find out there's something wrong halfway down, then it's a bit too late to do anything about it. And so they're all checking each other's backpacks. And that is a totally Christian thing to do too. To be caring about how each other are doing, knowing that if we're not doing well, it's going to cost you and it's going to cost me too. I don't want Greg jumping out of the airplane in worship without checking his backpack if you, do you have everything you need? How's your heart doing? Do we, do we need to talk about anything? Unity check? And you did great, and it was awesome. But we did that yesterday, right? And you do, can do that for me. How are you doing? How's your heart? How, how are these issues that you've talked about? 
Are you growing in it? Are you overcoming it? Because a disunified church doesn't trust getting checked up on. Doesn't trust getting challenged on something. Doesn't trust somebody being interested in your life. But a Unity Seals church understands that if somebody's asking you about how you're doing, it's because they don't want you to become a pancake out in Afghanistan somewhere. Because there was something wrong that you can't see, that someone else could see, and they're checking up on you to make sure you don't die. Pack checks. So as a team with the elders, we're talking about pack checks. Hey guys, time for a pack check. How you doing? One more lesson. This isn't from the Navy SEALs, but I think it really counts for, especially how the elder team is relating, but for the church in general, this is, I think, a good lesson from military life. Um, After the Second World War, which was one of the biggest movements of military forces in the history of the world, especially the United States, as it was fighting two different fronts, one in the Pacific, one in Europe, and they were moving people all over the place. They did this review afterwards to say, okay, what were the things we did really bad at? And one of the two things they said was the things that made them not do well was this. They would send out a group of people on a job, a bunch of soldiers, and they would never hear how they're doing the whole time. They would send out like a little platoon and they'll say like, why don't you go take this little village in France or something like that, maybe after D-Day. And then they'd never hear how they were doing. Did they take the village? Did they get blown up? Were they under fire? Did they only make it halfway there? They never made it to the village? They just wouldn't hear back from the people how things are actually going. So then a day later when they, or two days later when they expect the village to be taken, all of a sudden they discover that it wasn't. And nobody said anything. And they're saying this is... One of the top two problems in the entire U.S. military is not hearing back from people. And it meant that they were really disunified. You know, we don't know where everybody is. That was one of the biggest problems when the lockdown happened in March or April or whatever. The, 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 the staff was spending so much of its energy trying to figure out where people were at. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Zoom call, Zoom call, Zoom call, Zoom, 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 Zoom. Not going anywhere. They still call it Zoom. I don't even know. Is that a naming problem? Like Zoom implies actually going somewhere and doing something quickly, but nobody's going anywhere or doing anything fast. Name fail. Or maybe it's great. Maybe you have a good reason for it. But this is one of the pressures, and this is a reality for, for leaders that I think any church should hear about, is that Pastoral staff, paid staff, eldership team, we can't check up on everybody all the time. And instead, we actually, it's better to build a culture that loves unity and fights for unity where leaders and people realize that, like, I actually have some responsibility to let people know how I'm doing too. And that all of us, actually, if we are fighting for unity or want to be in unity, we actually have some responsibility to let people know how we're doing. Right? Like the, the tendency is to say, I'm really struggling and no one is calling. They must not care. Anybody? Am I the only one who's ever done this? Why am I not getting checked up on? Right? That, that is a planning to be disunified, to have that attitude. Fighting for unity says, I'm not doing well. I should start telling people. And especially people who can do something about it. Amen? And this was, this was their result from World War II. This is what the U.S. military decided. We need to train people to communicate if they're, if they're doing well or not doing well. 
Because otherwise we are disunified and it's going to get people killed. And even just in day-to-day stuff with people on the front lines, they're saying like, sometimes people would maybe say, oh, I'm going to go explore this area over here, and they wouldn't tell anybody, and then another group of people on the same team would be there, and they didn't know that their own teammates were going to be behind those trees in the jungle, and they would start shooting at them because they assumed that it was the enemy because nobody communicated, hey, we're going over here, don't shoot at us. That's crazy. And people die. They call it friendly fire where we didn't know it was you. We didn't know it was our team and we thought it was the bad guys. And so we started shooting at them and we took out three of our own guys. And now, now those guys have to live with the rest of their life of knowing that they shot people on their own team because they didn't know that they were there. They never told anybody. <laughs> That's crazy. That's not the blessings of brothers dwelling in unity. So one of the reasons why I'm... I'm caring about this, why we're caring about this, is we had this church review back about a year ago, actually. It doesn't feel like that, but one of the biggest things that the review said is that the the leaders need to work on unity. You're not in unity. And so we've really been, as, as soon as we've been able to gather some breaths, we've been working on this, and God's really helped us in this, and we're growing in it a lot. And I think it's God's help for posturing us for the future to be together and to be in unity and even just personally, you know, I, I turned 40 yesterday. Feels like weeks ago. Does anybody else feel like time is just going way too fast these days? Hokey, doodle, dina, ding dong, hot dog. I cannot keep up. And there's just been some words, scriptures, emphases in, in my life at least. Um, how long was, was Israel out in the desert because they didn't go in the first time? Yeah, 40 years, my lifetime. And what was the problem that they didn't go in the first time? The spies came back to give a report. Were they unified in their faith? No, they were disunified in their faith. And it cost Israel because they came back with a mixed message of belief and unbelief. They were disunified. And so, for me, I just feel like the Lord is helping us to be prepared to go into his plans for us by working on our unity. This is the thing. We've got to be unified to actually enter into the purposes of God for our, for our lives together. And so I want to give us some things that we can do. The, the, the leadership team is, is working on it and making great headway. I'm really proud of the guys. I'm proud of proud of everybody. I think it's been difficult, but I think that we're actually bearing fruit, and so I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful for everybody involved and all the ways they're involved and all the ways you could wonder if I'm meaning it. I'm really grateful, really grateful, really grateful. But here are three ways that I think we as a church can work on becoming unity seals, if you want to call it that. Would anybody like to actually contribute mightily towards the unity of a local church? We're so Canadians. Maybe, as long as nobody's watching me put my hand up. If you're afraid that the people sitting next to you will see you trying to commit to working towards unity, we're already in trouble. Amen? Can we do this one more time? And I know it's halfway through the message, and you're all tired, and you're wondering if they have any specials on at McDonald's, because it's, it's, it's not, it's not as, some things aren't as cheap as they used to be, and I get it. I love you guys. We're in this together. 
But it is a conscious choice. If, you, if we aren't unity seals, we're going to be something else. And it's probably going to be some kind of consumeristic. I was talking with somebody about this recently. It's so good. So did anybody notice we've got a Starbucks in town? Anybody been there recently? Okay, so there is this thing, and I think smarter people than me have said this, the Starbucks effect of the world. Before Starbucks came, you ordered a coffee, and you had like three choices to make. Number one, regular or decaf. That's your first choice. Number two, how much cream? And number three, how much sugar? Those are your choices, right? And if you want to add a fourth one, you could say a size. And even if you do the math there, it's like four times two or something like that, or four to the pa- two to the power of four. Uh, that's mathematics. So there's only like 30 different combinations of drink you can even get from most places, depending on the math. And somebody in grade 12 can figure this out for me. You go to Starbucks. How many different choices do you have to make to get a coffee? Right. There's like, I'm guessing, a thousand different combinations of drink you could walk out of there with your coffee there's like three or four different sizes and it's still i'm sorry love you starbucks but it still bugs me that the tall is the shortest one that's wrong that's like tower of babel where the lord just strikes a culture and you cannot use words to communicate it's like why would tall be the shortest one and i think there's something also morally wrong with being able to go up to a a store somewhere and order a tall blonde that's just wrong okay (laughs) That's just, I'm, I'm disgusted. <laughs> Sorry, that, I, I told myself, don't tell that joke, but I did. <laughs> but it's like, you get the size, you, there's 18 kinds of roasts, um, and then there's like 13 different kinds of milk you can order, and then there's five different toppings. But what that does with the people is it just says, like, you should be able to personalize anything, including your coffee. You should be able to drink a drink that nobody else you know drinks. Right? Decaf, non-fat, venti, decaf, non-fat, venti, macchiato, with an extra shot of cappuccino, espresso, whatever. Right? Okay. And then you can bring that same desire to ultimate specialize your life into anything i should be able to ultimate specialize my relationships and make sure i've got a decaf non-fat venti macchiato wife right or church i should be able to specialize my church experience how much how long the worship Rob wears T-shirts. It doesn't tell jokes about blondes. You know, I want to click that one. Just hold the blonde jokes. Which wasn't actually a blonde joke, but whatever. That's, that's not... It doesn't produce Christian unity. So here are some things that you can participate in to do that. Uh, number one... Let's remember that most change starts with some real repentance. You know, I was working on this message. I had insomnia the other night, and I was just working on this message. And I just felt so deeply convicted because I wanted to be really encouraging and winsome and not say anything hard and try to call people into unity. And I just think 
That's not the way. Unity comes from repenting of not doing unity. You have to tell the Lord, I'm sorry for not being committed to unity, God. This is so important to you. Your son died to produce a unified bride. Your son died to bring Jews and Gentiles together into one new people. Your son died on the cross in order to make it possible for people who would never spend time together to be brothers and sisters together. And I am sorry for what I did and do to not participate with that. And I'm sorry for even being lazy about it and not caring about it. And I am going to be committed to fulfilling your purpose in the world by becoming a unity seal. You have to start by saying sorry. Because this is the point. The whole point of of the church is to prove to the powers and principalities that Jesus is powerful enough to produce a united people that display his wisdom and glory in the world. You can't download that. You have to work towards it. We have to work towards it. And so it's going to have to start with repentance. Asking God even today, have I done something? Am I thinking something? Is my mindset somewhere that works against your goal of a unified local church? And if something comes up, I would like to welcome you to the team. Because this is what we've been dealing with for months. Even just with our local eldership team of like fighting against the things that we do. And I'm the worst culprit. I'll own that there. I'm the the least unity sealed guy in Calvary Chapel. I'll own that. I've made hundreds of terrible mistakes in contributing to disunity in the church. I own that. But I'm frontline repenting of that. I'm sorry if even this morning you're thinking I'm a hypocrite about something. Why don't you talk to me about it? And I will apologize for it. But this is where we're going. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing at Calvary Chapel right now. And so let's rejoice. And the great news is, is that whatever we repent of, God forgives us for and gives us grace to deal with it. But let's not let it be shallow. Repentance is more than a feeling. Repentance is more than crying. Repentance is more than feeling bad. It is a change of heart that proves itself through persisting in a new direction. True? True? It persists in its new direction. And so let's aim for that as a church. Number two, let's carry our confessions. Here is a key verse for unity and fellowship at Calvary Chapel, in my life, in my home. This is what John says. And he talks about fellowship here, not unity. From God's perspective, looking down at the church, it looks like unity. But from our relationships with one another, it looks like fellowship. It's two perspectives on the same thing. This is what God says. This is the message you've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have unity with one another as we walk in the light. Now, what does that mean specifically? And it says, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is one of the crazy counterintuitive things about being a Christian and a follower of Christ. If you want people to have good fellowship and be united together, you start by telling each other your weaknesses, faults, failures, and sins. I love board games. I was at a game night last night, had a great time. 
enjoying doing things with other people that you enjoy doing isn't Christian fellowship. It's not what God uses to build true fellowship. It's actually walking in the light with each other, having honest relationships, honest conversations that particularly involve sharing where you've blown it. That's what builds Christian unity. So we need to start there and keep going there. What destroys Christian unity? By doing the opposite of this, by hiding, by walking in darkness, by not admitting when you've made a mistake, by not confessing when you sin. That is what destroys unity, according to this chapter here. And so if we want to contribute towards unity, help people to know your weaknesses. Help people to know your failures. If you're newer here, this is weird. If you're newer here, Let us get to know you, not just on your best day. If you want to fast track feeling like you fit in here, find some, someone you trust and let them know how bad it is. And that will fast track your connection in the church. But if you want to make it last a, a long time, that feeling of, Still being on the outside a little bit, not totally fitting in, still wondering if people notice you come or not, not really feeling like you're in any kind of connection. Hide the junk. Worry about what if people are going to reject you or not. This is one of the weird things about life. If you push people away because you're worried they're going to reject you, you know what ends up happening? They end up rejecting you. They're like, oh, I guess you don't want to be friends with me because you're not talking to me. Okay, I guess we're not friends. That's crazy. But it's true. So I just, I just invite you. you. You don't need to go on Facebook and do it. Um, please don't go on Facebook. Facebook. I do think it's one of those things that future generations are going to look back on and just say, what were they thinking? Don't they realize that that post there caused World War III three weeks later? Find someone you trust. Let him in. God promises that he will build the fellowship he wants to build by using our walking in the light specifically by acknowledging our our sins. I'm going to share this. We have an early morning elders meeting on Tuesdays, and one of my favorite things is that Greg is almost always the first one to start confessing sins. And as a leader, I, I wonder how much I can share with people sometimes because it isn't always a blessing to have the team leading pastor share stuff. But when Greg starts off sharing his sins, I know this is a a fellowship in the room right here. And I can share my stuff more freely too. Thank you, brother. You are a Unity Navy SEAL by going first. It's not about a guilt trip. It's about knowing what builds real, real unity in a church. Number two, watch what you want. This is like a mantra in our home. Whenever the kids start squabbling, we almost always take them here because this is almost always the issue. This is what James says. 
What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. We don't say that to the kids. But James says that to us, so it must be okay. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, or do you not suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell within us, but he gives us more grace? Therefore, God says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is what I mean by watching what you want. James, through the Holy Spirit and his, I don't think he has an encouragement gift. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Definitely not a mercy giver. Anyhow, still wrote scripture. He, he just nails us and says, when you're fighting, it's almost always because you want something you can't have. And I know that for me, that is 100% true 100% of the time. And so whenever we have a a squabble in the home, part of the fellowship restoration time is to say, okay, so what is it you're wanting that you don't think you can get? Because it needs to come into the light. And then we can bring it to the Lord with a good motive or something like that. But this, this idea of wanting things you can't get and what we do with it. So during my insomnia night before my birthday, it was just the best sleepless night I've ever had. Because I was like, okay, I'm awake still, God. I was so ready to be asleep, went to bed at a good time. And then I was, it's like I had six cups of coffee right before bed, even though I purposefully didn't have the Pepsi that I could have had. And I was like, okay, Lord, just lead my thinking. And I was thinking about birthdays. Anybody ever think about their birthday? Okay. When you're thinking about your birthday, do you usually think, now's the time to get what I want? Is it just me? You know, Grandma's going to send me a check. Grandpa's going to send me a check. I'm going to have one of those birthday parties where you're like, just send me a check. I'm going to get the money together, and then I can go on Amazon. I can get what I want. and get the cake I want, get the dinner I want. Anybody? And this is what I realized, because I do that too. Totally, 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 totally. This is what I realized. I was thinking over my entire birthday life from when I was a child, and I realized that even if I got the G.I. Joe I wanted or the Super Nintendo game I wanted or whatever it was, whenever I got what I wanted, I was never actually satisfied when it arrived. There was always some kind of letdown or disappointment or realization it was not as good at all as I thought it was actually going to be. You ever notice that? When you're like, man, I'm going to get these shoes. They're going to be great shoes. You get the shoes and they're like, yeah, they're great for like five days. And then you're like, they're just as uncomfortable as my last shoes. There's just something. You just think this thing that I want is really going to be the thing that satisfies my soul. It never works. Because it's usually not Jesus. Who's the only thing that's infinite enough to satisfy your never-ending desires? And so I was trying to work through this with... I'd been thinking about it a while, but I really realized it the other night. And so I wanted to have this Rob free birthday. And so I was really blessed because there's more than one person at Calvary who shares a birthday with me. And I got invited to somebody else's birthday party on my birthday. And I was like, this is it! 
This is how you do it. You go to somebody else's birthday on your birthday party, and not only are they responsible for buying the pizza, you know what I'm talking about, but you get to go and enjoy people without that temptation to, that it's all about you trying to achieve your best birthday party ever that you've always wanted. And I just became so convicted that I'm never satisfied in life unless I am taking care of somebody else. Oh, guys, we will never be satisfied in Christ unless we are living for our brothers and other people. That's what does it. It has to be for others through Jesus. That's the times you'll be the most happy, the most satisfied, the most free, the most glorious, the most... For others through Jesus, for your brothers, for the glory of Jesus, for the lost, for the, for the praise of Jesus. That's when your heart will be full. Not, not this. Amen? I'll leave that. Okay, I think I can wrap it up. I keep seeing people in children's ministry giving me eyeballs, which means means something. Don't shrug like you're not trying to body language something to me. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. I did it. Oh, another regret. I apologize now. I humble myself. <laughs> I'm so glad Jackie's not here. Church, let's do this. You know, I'm, I'm probably one of the worst pastors in town. And I really mean that. Um, so few natural gifts to do the calling of God, which means two things. Number one, I have to depend on Jesus all the time, just like you guys do too. And number two, I don't think any of you have any struggles or sins that I either don't have or don't wish I did. It's this weird life I've been thinking about. I'm like, God, this has been the worst year on top of a very hard five years. And I, am, I feel like I've done every sin you shouldn't do as a pastor. And the only conviction I have of this is that none of you will tell me anything you do or struggle with except that I can say to you, yeah, me too. Let's walk with Jesus together. I really want to be in unity with you, and I'm so terrible at unity. Can you please bear with me as we're learning this, as I'm learning this? But I really want to become a unity seal with you, and I really want you guys to follow me into this life. And I, don't, I think the sky is the limit for what Christ can do through us as long as we will stay connected together under him. Amen? Let's read scripture together again. I'll just read it for us, and then we can. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is... <clears throat> I was trying to have a moment there. You ruined it. I'm trying again. I love Calvary Chapel so much. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the Mount of Zion. For there the Lord commanded his blessing, life forevermore. Amen.
Father, would you lead us into these blessings that you have for us? Father, you know that between our, our sinful bents and our culture and the will of the enemy, um, it's, it's hard work to, to stay in the unity that you want for us in Christ. But God, I pray for that for your glory, you would do that here. And I want to just avail myself again, Lord, whatever you want me to do to contribute to that, the answer is yes. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.